0: to take another 15% off of this course. And uh, we can't wait to see you there. All right, welcome to this week's episode of Fixing Your Agile Coaching. I am Ryan Ripley joining me this week. We got Esther Derby back for another week. Esther, it's great to see you again.
1: Yeah, happy to be here.
0: Thanks for doing this. I, I love it. Love our conversations. Of course, the 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 watchers and listeners out there know Esther from uh, Seven Rules for Positive Productive Change. Awesome uh, newish kind of book on the market. Uh, if you haven't read it, read it. Absolutely essential for agile coaches. Of course, the, the retrospectives book uh, that she wrote with Diana Larson is essential reading for any respectable scrum master out there. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly taught me how to get a little bit better at retros. It takes me a while to learn, but uh, Certainly used that book <clears throat> and marked it up, and have referred to it regularly. So Esther, thanks for all of that. Um, awesome books, awesome learnings, and uh, yeah, really appreciate you.
1: Well, thank you. I'm happy to be here with you. I like, I really enjoy our conversations.
0: So another topic that um, I think you're 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 one of the um, best in the world to talk um, to about is um, middle management, right? Yeah. You've certainly been there, I think, behind yeah. closed, I, I mean, you plenty of, uh, I, I think, books on this as well. Um, and just, I, you've been there, you've done that, you've been the coach. Um, I've certainly <clears throat> sat in a lot of middle management positions, um, certainly near and dear to my heart as the, as the leadership steward at scrum.org, such a big topic. Um, what are your thoughts here? Agile coaches and middle management, the good, the bad, the ugly. Um, where can we go?
1: Oh, well, I think, uh, middle managers don't get enough respect.
0: Amen. Tell me more.
1: (laughs) Well, I, you know, I mean, there's this whole thing about it. We don't need (laughs) managers and we're self-managing teams. It's like, you know, it's, it's a, it's a difficult job because you're pulled in two different directions, right? You have the demands of the team and you have the demands of the, the, you know, senior leaders in the organization, Um, You very often don't have support from the people on either side of you, the lateral support. Uh, And I think there is something middle managers can do that is much more strategic than what they are typically doing in organizations. Day-to-day task supervision is not the best use of middle managers' talents or time. So very often in my experience, you know, they have – good knowledge of how to get things done in the organization, which makes them ideally positioned to work on those systemic issues that get the way of change.
0: Yeah. And and this is how I always wanted to, you know, I don't have, I certainly don't have the coaching credentials that you do, but I I was in this middle management position. And so maybe Mm -hmm. I can speak from that, that stance or that, that lens. I always wanted to work on the systemic things. Right, but yeah. I always felt pulled, you know, by the VP that I would, whichever VP I was working for, and actually worked for some really great people, but they always wanted me as the middle manager to know everything about everything. Like if they had a question about a project, I needed to be able to answer, and I needed to have the slide deck with me with the status of, and uh, I fe- and it turned into a very tactical, yeah, um, tactical kind of role. But I always resisted that, and I was able to to actually kind of delegate out some of that. I would get I, I had some support staff that would kind of help me with that to where we could actually get to the strategic. but it always felt like a battle, yeah, uh, to justify spending my time removing an impediment for the team. They're like, well, we have scrum masters for that. We have and trying to explain that, but I have enough positional authority to partner with the scrum master because the scrum master on their own can't do it. It seems like yeah. that was really the name of the game or that was the, that was the battlefield.
1: Oh yeah. Well, I, you know, been there, I've been there where, you know, you're expected to know the detail of any single task on, uh, any project. And that's micromanagement, you know, yep. Absolutely. Um, and, and, you know, I see, I see middle managers roles as, um, enabling the environment for teams, developing people and working on the system. Right. So those three things. And, and if you're doing that and you end because you're creating an environment where people can work effectively, you don't have to be doing day-to-day task supervision. You know, we've got adults in the workplace and, you know, they can manage their work. That's one of the, one of the core tenets of agile is that the teams manage, you know, the, the senior leaders or the product organization is setting the priorities, but they can manage their own work. Right. So that frees managers up to, you well know, develop people, work on the system, but it is a, uh, it is a struggle in lots of organizations because the orientation is so much towards, we must make sure people are working hard. <laughs> And um, you know, this whole micromanagement, you have to be able to to report on any detailed level task at any time, which is, <laughs> I'm, I'm editing myself a little bit.
0: <laughs> well, I, and this is, is a space- not
1: a high value use of their time. I mean, those no. things can be looked up. If indeed they're important.
0: Absolutely, and I, I, I would argue 99.9% of the time, it's not important. Right. Um, and, and this is where I think an agile coach can really be a great partner to middle management is to start having those conversations with the executives. It, I mean, you, you brought up a great topic with uh, efficiency versus effectiveness. Right. Right. I don't want teams to be efficient. I want them to be effective. <clears throat> I don't care if, you know, two developers were, only 60% burdened or loaded during a sprint. And what I mean is we couldn't account for 100% of their time. If we got the outcome we needed, the team's working together great, and the customer's delighted, why does it matter that for 40% of their time they they read a book or they skilled up or they paired with someone else to help them?
1: You should be thrilled that they are doing those things.
0: Right. Those are wins. <laughs> These are great team behaviors. Those
1: are great team behaviors. And, and they're an investment in building capacity over time,
0: right. right? And
1: building capability over time. Um, so, so it goes back to that whole, you know, people must be heads down, you know, fingers tapping on keyboard a hundred percent of the time, or somehow something is wrong and it's a very extractive mindset you know, yep. we must extract maximum labor. And it all, almost entirely reduces the possibility for learning. You know, if people are on task 100% of the time, you know, they may be learning something as an individual about that particular task, but they are not learning as a team. They are not increasing the capacity and capability and knowledge of the team. So, yeah, this whole um, utilization stuff gets in the way of learning.
0: Yeah, and then that's a big stumbling block. And I think this is yeah, where agile huge. coaches can help. This is where you partner with HR and say, look, autonomy, mastery, and purpose. You know, Dan mm-hmm. Pink did a lot of great research here or, or built on a lot of great research here yeah. that if people aren't deciding how best to do their work, if they're not given opportunities to level up, and if they don't understand why they're doing the work other than just <laughs> to stay busy, they leave. Yeah. And so onboarding is is expensive. (laughs) Recruiting is expensive. And, and, and really like that's one avenue. You could have that conversation with finance. You could have that conversation with executives, but really start spreading that knowledge as opposed to, um, well, this is the right way to do a daily scrum. Yeah. It's like, which one is more effective at the beginning? And I would argue the first, like I would say, let's get some of these, let's get the team's ability to to work in a reasonable way to to learn to level up to get away from the wow. the efficiency that's the that's the name of the game early on right
1: absolutely and efficiency thinking is deeply deeply embedded in at least particularly US business culture yeah you know deeply embedded and that getting as much work out of somebody as we possibly can is deeply embedded. Um, People seem to feel like it's a moral wrong if someone is gazing out the window, as I am right now. (laughs) That's like, this is a moral wrong. You should be, you should have your fingers typing on the keyboard. Right?
0: No, come on, Esther. We need a thousand words per minute for the show. Come on.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I can give you a thousand words, but they might just be gibberish. Um, Exactly. So, so, yeah, so it's, it's this very extractive thinking and Uh, shifting that mindset is difficult because it's embedded in the practices to some extent. And, you know, the way people account for things and the whole utilization thing and um, resource optimization. Um, So again, as we talked about in another, in another one of our chats, we talked about the, the, you call them the tethers, the things that hold the patterns in place. Um, That's one of them. Sure. That's one of them.
0: Yeah, and, and it's hard to convince uh, a software engineering executive that they're not building Toyotas. Right. I, I think in an, an assembly line setup, these ideas are great. We want to well, be as efficient I mean, and a, as, as possible with the machine usage. We want the but those are machines. Right. They're not people. But, but
1: the humans, you still want them to have time to learn and think yes. and yep. and have some ownership and responsibility over the way they're doing their work. I right. mean you know, there's here's one of the big dichotomies you see in bigger organizations that they're very concerned about engagement. You know, they send out all these engagement surveys and they want people to be engaged. And then they have this extractive mentality or this efficiency mentality that gets in the way of all the stuff that bring engagement.
0: Right. Oh, it's <laughs> you know,
1: I- some vitality to people's work. So, yeah, another one of those things that holds the pattern in place.
0: And then they're insanely distraught when the engagement surveys come back and the scores yeah. are low. And so what do we need to do? And then it's
1: Let's it. talk
0: or, or yell at people oh. or you should be happy to. I we once I remember oh, early oh, yeah. in my career, an engagement survey came back. The CEO held in all hands and said, you all should feel lucky to be here. How dare you be upset in your roles? The economy is terrible. Um, and, and so, you know, you could you could either be jobless or, and it, and it was, it, it led to like a 20% exodus. It was yeah, just- Yeah, that,
1: that was so effective. It reminds me of a company I worked in, which had had took great pride in being, you know, their little slogan of, of uh, we're a, the best place to work. And they had actually gotten some awards, but on the basis of what, who knows, but best place to work. And we got a, a new vice president who started talking about cutting all dead wood and you should be grateful to have a job. And, yeah. and, and then the phrase became, well, it's at best a place to work. <laughs>
0: <laughs> right. But the extractive yeah. mindset is yeah. really, yeah. Um, and, and maybe it comes back to where, <laughs> where be, it's at best a place to work. I like that. Um, <laughs> It's it's also yeah. kind of that that resource mentality something yeah, that Todd absolutely. and I are that we're very quick to correct and and almost to the irritation of, of people is people are not resources they're not mineable they're not fungible they're not like they're, we're not interchangeable parts here this is right. I mean human flourishing is part of the equation in, yeah. in, in work or it should be right well, and and I think a lot of the things we're talking about, well. <laughs> I I think the results are better with with the flourishing, right? I mean, it's- right.
1: That's, you know, people, you get better results when people are flourishing.
0: Yeah. And and, and I think uh, Tony Haish, the former founder uh, of Zappos, I think his great book, uh, Delivering Happiness. I mean, they really, and and I don't know if it was a peer reviewed study, but they did a lot of work in this space that if people are flourishing and happy in their roles, Mm -hmm. if they're learning and leveling up and they're truly joyful, Like there, it's just, it's joyful for them to go to work. Um, The customer experience is exponentially better. Yeah. Right. And that's, that should not be profound, right? It shouldn't have taken up. That's just common sense. But I think we miss that. And instead it's, we'll extract everything over here from the employees and that leads to a customer and there's this big disconnect, right?
1: Right. But that's the part that is so deeply embedded. That is so deeply embedded in, in U S business culture. And you know, it, it goes back to when management was first developing as a profession. Um, a lot of people peg it to the railroads, but it was actually on plantations that were using enslaved labor.
0: Which is a, a terrible basis for a, a yeah. business practice, right? And so right. maybe it's time to to kind of get rid of that. Yeah, And, and we're seeing signs of that. You know, yes. I think the, 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 what are they calling it? The, the mass um, it's like the mass quitting. I, I don't remember that the, the media has a tag word for But yeah, the 30, 30, to 40% of people who are saying, if I have to go back in the office, I quit.
1: Well, I think right? a lot of people had a chance to reevaluate their priorities.
0: Yeah. The well, pandemic. and what's interesting is there's been some studies that have been released and I, I might've shared one or two with you. I think McKinsey or Gartner, I don't remember who did it, but they were showing um, the middle managers still stuck in this kind of, I call it command and control. You can call it Taylorism, whatever theory that you think leads to this. They're kind of being circumvented, right? Where more senior leaders were going directly to teams. And if you weren't, and then they started worrying about, well, what value are we adding? And And so now they want to solve the systemic issue. It's kind of an interesting shift where if the middle manager doesn't reinvent the value they bring in this remote world, they could see themselves almost cut.
1: Well, and that's that's I think that's a huge waste of of talent and intelligence. Um, And frankly, senior leaders um, have a lot of issues they need to be dealing with. Um, they don't need to be involved in the day-to-day. Right. Right. I think they need to understand how the work happens, but their job is, you know, scanning the environment, making sure the, the value proposition works, making sure the revenue model works, you know, do scanning that externally and then, and then, you know, working on the stuff that's about steering the organization. And middle managers, you know, make sure the work is, sequenced in a reasonable way they make sure teams have the environments to do the work they have what they need to do the work and then work on those systemic things and i think it's hard to you know be steering and also doing that enabling Stuff. I mean, some some people, you know, across those boundaries, and in some organizations, everybody's involved in all of it to some extent. Right. Smaller well, organizations, but yeah, I just wonder what's going to happen if if uh, it will it will increase the cognitive load on both the leaders and the makers.
0: Yep. Oh, a- absolutely. Like I, I yep. think this is a-, a fascinating time where we could end up getting pulled back into the way things were before the pandemic i think that i think there is some gravity there that could mm-hmm. pull people back into the office but i'm uh, what i what i find what i'm optimistic about is this block of people who are just saying no right and i think that could fundamentally shift the way that, that management works the way that people work and it could change the way agile coaches are going to have to show up i mean it, there's a big yeah. i think there could be a shift here i i hope we don't just go back to the old
1: i i don't I think we will because, like I said, a lot of people have rethought their priorities. It's like, yeah. you know, spending two hours commuting a day doesn't fit for me anymore. I would rather spend those two hours with my family or with my interests or my hobbies or whatever. So people are making different decisions about the trade offs. It's not just a foregone conclusion anymore. Right. And, you know, I think there's a certain sign that people are less willing to be in jobs that aren't satisfying.
0: Yeah, you know? two, two great developments that yeah, uh,
1: those are both great developments.
0: Well, and, and what I hope also happens, because um, I was one of these people when I was a developer, I did my best work from 11 o'clock at night until about four in the morning. Hmm. Like and I just I one no, no distractions. It was quiet. And I could bang everything out, but I still had to be at my desk at eight. So I was tired during the day. It was just one of those where will we ever get to the point to where we're in this remote space and the, the eight to five is no longer the standard and we just human flourishing is encouraged and people working yeah. together is encouraged. And, and so I think those companies, and, and I could be wrong. I will we'll date this. It's you know, it's 2021. We'll see in like five years if those companies that really embrace yeah. those more organic. Um, human-centric systems, I think those are going to be the big winners. There's going to be some blue chips that fall off and some new ones that come up that embrace this time.
1: And I think uh, there's a couple challenges people have to deal with, which what is synchronous and what is asynchronous? Right. You know, the assumption, one of the assumptions of Agile is that we do most things as a team. Well, we need to be more thoughtful about that now. You know, when do we actually need to be collaborating in a remote collaborative space? And when can we be working on our own and coming back and checking in? So I think people have to be a lot more um, intentional about that. And I think people have to spend a lot more thought on how do we maintain the informal networks in our organizations? Because there's a real danger that you're just going to get people in their little, uh, you know, in their little bubble with their teammates and they're not necessarily talking to people in the next team over or the other department. So finding ways to recreate those informal networks, I think, is an important thing. And that's another thing middle managers can work on. That's super important.
0: Yeah. And and I hope the mindset within middle management shifts. It could be very easy to swap out Zoom boxes. Well that person isn't working out. I can get another remote person. That person isn't yeah. working and it, 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 all sorts of, I, like I said, I, I think um, these are definitely gonna be some interesting times. Yeah, right? I think management yeah. theory is about to take a big leap. And I think the companies that really center on the human, um, um, I think they're gonna be huge winners. I know that I there are so. um, so. in tech centers, right? I know that there are some CEOs writing letters to other CEOs saying, hey, it's unfair of you to poach my my talent. And the other CEOs are saying, get good. Right. I mean, they're basically saying, well, if you're going to make them come back to the office and I'm not, I'm going to win. And, and there's these, I, I, I'm very excited about these times. Um, but I also think, um, our profession is going to have to level up too. I, I I, I think, you know, the way that we teach teams will be different. The way that agile coaches engage with, with people will be different. And, uh, I don't know. I just see this big acceleration coming that uh the way that things worked today or yesterday not going to work tomorrow when the dust settles
1: yeah well and i think i think being in, just being clear about how we want to create environments where humans can thrive is an important thing so it's not just you know like you just referenced you're just swapping out another remote person which makes right. no sense whatsoever it's like right. you know it actually does take time to learn a code base it oh yeah does take time you know and the idea that you can swap someone out and just because they you know they know how to code in java they can immediately be productive on your code base is foolish
0: it is well I, um, we'll see how they adapt right yeah. i'm um i'm well, optimistic you're
1: very adaptable
0: very much so well we proved that we spent a year and a half yeah. figuring that out and yeah. uh, and so it's uh like I said, just interesting times. If you're an Agile coach today, it's uh, it's an amazing opportunity. I think the partnership with middle management is still yeah. going to be critical. Um, it's It's just one of those relationships that if you're in an Agile coaching position and you're not really partnered up with the middle manager, you haven't figured out what they need out of this. I think that's a good conversation to have sooner Absolutely. rather than later, <laughs> right?
1: Absolutely. And don't fall into that trap of disparaging them. I'm saying, you know, they're the clay layer. They're, you know, resisting change. It's like, you know, when you go into it saying management doesn't have value, of course people are going to be defended because their identity is being attacked and they feel like, you don't see, there's no role for me here. But like I said, I think there's a huge and a far more strategic role for middle
0: managers. Totally agree, and actually, that whole negative perception—we put a management chapter in our Fixing Your Scrum book mm-hmm. that shouldn't be there, right? We shouldn't have to, but we've we felt as strongly as you do. Hopefully, that we feel as strongly as you do, Esther, that that disrespect just isn't productive.
1: No, not and so at we all. had to
0: be. We've we, so all. we we instructed, you know, Scrum masters be respectful, honor what they've done. These are past developers usually that have been moved up. They can help you. They can be a great partner, and you can be a great partner to them because there's some stuff that you know that that once they trust you, they might listen.
1: Yeah, (laughs) yeah, and and they may need to shift the way they do their work, but uh, coming at them like they're you know part of the problem isn't necessarily helpful.
0: I've never liked being called a problem.
1: Yeah, well,
0: (laughs) I might have deserved it. I still didn't like
1: it. Well, (laughs) yeah. Yeah, or, so. or going in the other, this is the other thing that um, I think is, sets the wrong tone is when um, a coach has been hired to work with a team, and they go to the manager and say, well, do you want some coaching from me? Because that's like a status, a one up status thing It assumes that they need coaching and that you are in a position to coach them. And that just, you know, that just sets the wrong tone. Right. So, yeah, understand yeah. where they're coming from, understand what they need, as you said, um, view them as an ally, ally, because everyone's a potential ally when you're working on a change. If you can uh, figure out where the mutual purpose is.
0: Right. I, I couldn't agree more. I think that's a great place for us to land, Esther. It's uh, it's always right. awesome getting to talk to yeah. you. I appreciate you and your time and uh, well, I hope for having me on. Oh, anytime. And I, I hope the agile coaches out there, I hope you pulled something away from this. It's, uh, it's a great topic, right? The middle management is such a, the tricky middle, but there's uh, some really great people in there that, uh, uh, that you can learn a lot from. They can be a great ally. And eventually, if you earn it, I think they'll learn a lot from you too. All right, so Esther, thank you so much. This is this week's episode of Fixing Your Agile Coaching. We got a lot of socials to the left subscribe and like to the right, check out the videos below. We think you'll like them. We hope they help. Um, You know what? This week, if you haven't talked to the middle manager uh, that you're in the organization that you're working on, make that call, right? Get them on a zoom, um, have a quick conversation, just check in, see how things are going, see how you can help and uh, take some of this great advice from Esther. And hopefully uh, that leads to some great progress and a good outcome for your week. Uh, I'm Ryan Ripley, we had Esther Derby on this week. Awesome as always, so glad she was here. Can't wait to see what happens next week. Until then, have it do well, and we'll see you next week. Hey, it's Ryan. If you're enjoying this show and want to take a deeper dive into Scrum with me and Todd, check out agileforhumans.com forward slash training. Be sure to also look at the show notes to subscribe to our newsletter, get a copy of our book, Fixing Your Scrum, and learn more about working with us at Agile for Humans. Thanks for listening, and scrum on.